You know, I'm like, don't hit the ball to me because I don't want to be a guy to screw this sucker up because these guys are nuts. From Lakely, it's how I got here. The stories behind the youth, high school, college, and professional sports journey, where it leads, and what we learn along the way. Hey, I'm Corey Kosky, and with this being the first podcast of 2019, I decided to do something a little different. And with such a topic as fear, as you know, the one tough thing about talking about fear is people have a fear about talking about fear. And so I decided to start out the month of January to talk about fear. So I, I decided to tell a few of my own stories and really dive into really what, what fear is because fear is an emotion that is with everybody. You know, we go from self-doubt and then at some point self-doubt moves to fear. And I don't care who you are, we all become fearful at some point of our life. And so the better we are at handling it, the better we are getting through these situations and we learn and move on, learn and move on. And so, you know, as you go, as you look through the internet, there's so many different definitions of fear and people talk about fear because fear is a, is, a, is a live thing. And so, you know, I found some stuff on uh, psychology today that talked about fear and it really fear is an emotional response induced by a perceived threat, which causes a change in the brain and organ function, as well as a behavior. Fear can lead us to hide, to run away, to freeze in our shoes, or to actually to fear. Fear may arise out of confrontation or from avoiding threat and may come in the form of a discovery. The one thing we need to realize is that there is no way to eliminate fear. You know, we just can't eliminate it from life entirely. And it's a valid emotion because at the end of the day, it builds character. And as I tell you uh, some of my stories, you'll see how I evolved over the course of my career of being able to handle fear and self-doubt. And it basically can teach you if you allow it to teach you. And, you know, uh, like I said, if you look at on linkly.com, they talk about I, I, the first little uh, tidbit I have on there says, you know, fear isn't, or yeah, fear isn't the absence of courage. And basically, or sorry, courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is being able to do what you fear. Um, and it's worded a little different on the website, but uh, there's a, a quote there by Bruce Lee. And basically, if we think about this, being fearless doesn't mean eliminating fear. Being fearless means knowing how to leverage fear. And really, at the end of the day, to do that, you need to know a few things and you have to have gone through fear. The one thing I try to teach my, uh, teach the kids that I'm coaching and stuff like that is that fear isn't an emotion that we need to be scared of. And actually, uh, when we go into a game, being anxious is actually good for us because now it increases our blood, uh, you know, it increases our, uh, our circulation. We get kind of sweaty, we get clammy, our, our eyes dilate because we're getting ready. We're preparing ourselves for the game and be able to harness that and bring that into a game is actually healthy and you can actually play, uh, play better. So uh, a couple points from, like I said, I took this from psychology today. When they talk about fear is healthy, you know, fear is hardwired in our brain. We can't run away from it. Um, and so the feeling of fear is, is not abnormal or a sign of weakness. Um, 
you know, the capacity to be afraid is a normal part of, of the brain function. So, and, and really, the fact is that the lack of fear may be a sign of some serious brain damage. And you know what? Fear comes in many shapes, many shapes, many sizes. Uh, you know, <laughs> fear doesn't care. Fear it doesn't discriminate. Uh, it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what religious preference you have. Uh, fear, fear is there. And, you know, it's inherently an unpleasant experience. It can range from mild to paralyzing. Um, you know, like people is, you know, you know, are scared to go for a medical checkup or, or even a, a terrorist attack. Um, and so, you know what, it's a fear is, is a part of it. And you know what, an entity fear is not as automatic as you think, you know, fear is part instinct, part learning and part taught, part taught, you know, some fear is instinctive. Like for example, pain, for example, you know, the fear of pain, uh, and the implication of survival, that's, a, that's basically part of the deal. Other fears learned, you know, you know, there's some people who are afraid of certain places, uh, other people, situations, you know, people afraid to go into elevators, you know, flying, you know, there's, there's fear around that. Or if somebody had like a near drowning experience, well, they have a fear of going around, uh, around bodies of water. And, you know, and then some of the fears are taught, you know, there's cultural norms around that dictate uh, what should be feared and what should not should be feared. So, um, and at the end of the day, you don't need to be in danger to be scared. And, you know, there's stuff, anticipation anxiety is your fear of something coming up. Um, and the more scared you feel, the scarier the things will seem. Um, and so, you know, you're wa if you're watching like this, say, for example, you're watching a documentary on spiders and you, you're a little freaked out by spiders and all of a sudden somebody does a little creepily crawly along the back of your neck, <laughs> you're going jump to jump off the couch. Um, and so... You know, there, there's that dynamic. And, and then basically fear can dictate the actions that we take. Uh, so in situations, we either, you know, we fight, we freeze, we run, or we actually this, we have fright. And, you know, you see, they talk about the deer in the headlights. Well, just think about that. You know, when a deer in a headlight, it's walking, it sees a headlight and it stops, it freezes, it reacts to see kind of what to do next. And a lot of situations, I see that, you know, as that you know, apply it to sports or try to, to apply that to youth sports, college sports. Uh, you see a lot of kids who are playing the game, um, you know, almost in freeze mode because they're so afraid to make a mistake. So they're playing a lot slower because they're trying to process it because they don't want to make a mistake. So they're like freezing and looking. Uh, and then, then on top of that, then is, you know, fight. You know, as kids start getting older, they start to get, you know, this testosterone, testosterone uh, in boys. And they want to fight a lot more. And they, you get a lot more pushback. And then there's kids who just run away. And so if they can't win, they, they run away. And then there's, a, there's one that I just learned about when they talk about fright now. And um, at times when the fear is overwhelming, uh, we experience fright. And it's, you know, it's not really either a fight or a flee. In fact, it's really you do nothing. It's like we obsess over stuff. Like, for example, you, you know, you heard that your company is going to do layoffs and all of a sudden you obsess over the layoffs and it ruminates and you just complain about it and there's really no action. And really, if you're in this continuous fright mode, it, that can lead to kind of like hopelessness and kind of depression. And at the end of the day, the more real the threat, 
the more heroic your actions. Because really when we get put into a really difficult situations, we have a natural ability to come out of that. And we hear the stories over and over about people doing heroic things um, in very dangerous situations. And they talk about how they just it just took over. And, you know, at, listen, at the end of the day, fear can be as much of an ally as it can be an enemy. Uh, and the fear of fear can keep us like locked in a cage. It feels like you're locked away. And, um, you know, hopefully over the course of this month, as we talk to some of the athletes and talk to some of the uh, leaders around around Minnesota here, and we hear their stories about fear and stuff that they've overcome and how they've overcome it, it will give you guys some tools to kind of deal with with fear because I'll tell you one thing. If you tell me that you haven't feared anything, I'll tell you you're a damn liar because it is a part of our, a part of our psyche. And so... Um, I'm going to tell you a couple stories of kind of, uh, through my career, how I've dealt with fear and it's, uh, you know, it's real, it's live. And, um, and you know, when I first started, when I first started in the minor leagues, uh, you know, I played the game, I made a lot of mistakes. Heck, when I was in, uh, where was I Fort Wayne, I think I led the league and set records for, for errors as a third baseman at the Midwest league, but there wasn't really any parts where I was, I was really fearful. And I didn't have really anxiety about playing. I was just like, look, just you know, don't hit the ball to me because I can't catch it. And I was fine with that. And so, but I knew I needed to work at it. And then we go into, I uh, have a really good for, a game, really good year in Fort, uh, Fort Wayne. And then I go to Fort Myers and I had a difficult year there. The hot, you know, try playing a league, playing a league. Try, try playing in Fort Myers in the middle of summer. It is hot. And so I got hurt a bunch of times. I got dehydrated. This this Canadian blood of mine uh, couldn't handle the heat down in Fort Myers. Uh, and then I bounced back for my New Britain year. And I had a really good year in New Britain. And that's when they had uh, the expansion draft. And during that expansion draft, the Twins protected me on their, I think, their 25-man. Because I think they only could protect 25 uh, players and so they protected me and um and you know what at the end of the day when I was playing I wasn't really focused on going to the big leagues I was focused on getting better every day and I thought that the big leagues were so far away and these guys were so good I really didn't have a chance to play the big leagues until I started playing in double a and I started seeing guys who I competed against a double a and uh I did well against uh, having success at the big league. So I'm like, you know what? Maybe I can play at the big league level. And so um, I go I go to spring training. Sorry, so I go to the uh, Arizona Fall League, have a good Arizona Fall League, and I, then I get invited uh, to big league spring training. And this is my first big league spring training. And... I had a little bit, I was a little bit nervous going up to spring training and it really had nothing to do with actually playing in the big league spring training that that deal, it was kind of a different feel. But, um, a couple of years before that, I had my first interaction with Tom Kelly. And for those of you who know how Tom Kelly, Tom Kelly can be loud. Um, and, um, and you know what, he's a great manager. He's probably, he's, well, he's not probably, he is the best game manager that I've ever been around. Um, but he had a, uh, a knock against him that he's really hard on young players. And, and so, you know, I, you know, I heard those rumors. I didn't know quite what to, what to expect with this. So 
I was in an instructional league two years before that. And uh, TK was down there in instructional league with us. And uh, in instructional league, we had to p- we put all our our underwear and all our undergarments into a, a bag. We tie that thing up and we throw it in our locker. And the clubhouse guys grab that and they throw it in there. Um, they throw it and that's how they wash all all your uh, all your undergarments. So uh, my hat was dirty, my hat was stinky, and I threw my hat in, in that uh, to wash my hat because that's what we did on the farm. We washed hats, you know, it was no big deal. And then the hat came out, and everybody started making fun of, fun of me, and they were laughing because my hat was all crooked, but I knew over the course of time it would, kinda, it would get back to somewhat normal. And then TK came out, and, um, you know, TK would hold court before we'd go out there. He'd have all the guys, and he'd talking about all kind of the stuff that we're going to do for the day and kind of stuff he learned and stuff they liked from the day before. And then he goes, hey, and Corey, he goes, why would you put, why would you think it is okay to put your hat in the washing machine? And I was uncomfortable with it because TK kind of gets loud and he's direct. And I was like, oh, great, oh, great. You know, the manager, the big league managers asked me how I put the hat. And so I was kind of like, I smiled and because I was nervous as heck when he answered asked that question, I was like, "Well, because that's what you know, that's what we did. My mom did that, and that's what we do. We, you know, my mom taught me to, to wash my hat." And then TK goes off, and um, now I know it was sarcastically, but back in the day, I didn't know it was sar- sarcastically, and he got really loud and kind of was like, you know. Uh, now he blames his mom. He's blaming his mom for sticking his hat in the you know, doing something crazy like that. Now it's his mom's fault, and. Um, and it was, I was like, oh gosh, you know, here I just embarrassed myself in front of the big league manager. I have no chance to play in the big leagues. And, um, and Tiki just walked away, kind of shook, shaking his head. And so now we fast forward. And so, you know, I'm like, you know, my, the big league manager doesn't like me. And so now I move on to my first big league spring training. And we get into my first big league spring training and TK is doing his thing and, he gets he can get loud and he get he can do stuff and um, we're doing some trills in, in the backfield, in which um, we're throwing the ball across the diamond, and they roll me the ball and I would shuffle shuffle throw the ball to first base and TK didn't like the balls going up up high, he wanted to to go down low so our our, our first baseman can go out and reach for it pick for it because it does no good if the guy has to reach up for it he wants them to reach to the ball, and I threw the ball about head high, uh, eye level at Stohoviak, and TK wanted me to throw it lower. So I'm like, okay, I can do that. So then the next throw, I, so they threw me another ball, and I threw the ball a little bit higher. And he's like, do it again. And so I'm like, okay, I'll do it again. So he took it, and next thing you know, I threw the ball even higher. And then TK's like, do it again. And then I could see out of the corner of my eye, you know, Guardy and, you know, a couple of the other coaches kind of shaking their head, and they're like, oh, great. So then I throw the ball over over Stohoviak's head. That's Stohoviak 6'5". And um, now I'm getting embarrassed. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? I can't even throw a ball to my first baseman. And TK's like, do it again. Let's go, son. Get that ball down. And I'm like, okay. So now I'm thinking in my head, you know what? I'm going to bounce this ball. And so I went through that ball, and I threw it over Stohoviak's head and, like, off the back cage, almost threw it out of the ballpark. And TK kind of looks at me. He does his little thing. He pushes up his glasses, and he's like, <laughs> "I'm sitting there, and I'm in, now I'm like, okay, what is going on?" And then he's like, "Do it again." And so I did it again, and I threw another ball over because this time I'm like, you know, I'm gonna bounce this ball off the pitching mound so I can get it there. So I throw the ball lower, 
And then I threw it over, over again, over his head again. And TK's like, all right, that's enough, son. We're, we're, we're good over here. And then he kind of went through the stuff. And now I'm like, okay, he, he hates me. You know, he says he's tough on, on, um, he's not going to be tough on the young guy. He just absolutely hates me because I can't, you know, number one, my, you know, I don't know how to wash hats. Uh, and now I can't even throw a ball to first base. So I got sent down my, I got sent down on my first cut, um, you know, that year. But just before I got sent down, we were in St. Petersburg, Florida. And I came in to pinch hit off of some lefty who's some, some career lefty, gets, you know, a career buck 20, whatever. I don't even know who the guy was. And I get up two hits off off of this guy. And, you know, a couple of guys are like, dang, that's a tough lefty that you're hitting. I'm like, yeah, I no idea. No idea how I'm doing it. And then, um, so now I go on, in, on defense and I'm like, and I was like, just please don't hit me at ball because I don't want to screw this thing up. And so I don't know who it was. Hit an easy two, two bouncer to me and I went to catch the ball and I just flat out missed it. And I'm like, great. And it was embarrassing. And I felt like, oh, it was that, you know, this... I didn't feel like I could catch a ball if my life depended on it. Well, an inning later, I get a missile hit at me. I go to block it uh, because I'm like, you know what? I'm not letting this ball get by me. And I go to block it, and it deflects off my glove to the shortstop. And uh, I think Mears was playing shortstop at the time. He makes the play. He catches it, and then he goes to makes the out. It makes the third out at at first. And so as I'm walking into the dressing room, I see I hear Guardy and Scotty Alger just dying laughing. And I walk in and Guardy's like, damn, son. He goes, I've never seen a ball come in the glove at 90 miles an hour and leave the leave the glove at 120 miles an hour. And Scotty just died. He goes, man, that's like a frying pan. And, you know, and I joked about it and I thought it was funny at the time, but it wasn't funny because I'm like, just get me out of here because I do not want to be in this situation again. And so, you know, I ended up, uh, you know, going back uh, and it felt good to get back to the minor leagues. Uh, And then, you know, so now we go into our second year, my second big league spring training. And this is 1998. And this is kind of a point in my career in which... I um, it's kind of a turning point, and so it was 1998 because it was a, it was a 1998 Olympics at Nagano, and uh, my roommate is Ryan Radmanovich, uh, another Canadian. So there's me and Radmanovich, and I don't think we had any other Canadians in the uh, at Big Lake Camp there, but it was me and Radmanovich. He was an outfielder from Calgary, and so and Canada is playing, uh, and, and I think this is the first time they allowed professionals to play. In the um, in the Olympics, and so Canada's playing, and they get to the round robin, and we get to uh, the semifinal game to get to the gold medal game, and they're playing against Czechoslovakia, and the game was at like four or five o'clock in the morning, and I want to watch this game because I am all in for Canada hockey, and so I go. And I'm, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go to bed at 6 o'clock so I can get up at 5 o'clock to watch this game. And so I go to bed. Or you know what? It wasn't even 5 o'clock. I think it was like 3 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning. So like 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, Florida time. Um, but anyway, so I go to bed really early so I can get up to watch that game. So I am sleeping. 
and then you know all of a sudden i hear rad like hooting and hollering and uh, so I, I up and i watch the game a little bit then i fall back asleep and then i get up i watch the game a little bit and i fall back asleep and so i barely watched i didn't watch any any of the game i watched the shootout in which uh canada lost in the shootout to go to the gold medal game or maybe it was a quarterfinal game i don't know uh but so but anyways they lost and so i get to the uh park the next day and a, a point here is that Romanovich stayed up for the whole thing and I went to bed really early to try to watch this I slept Radman didn't and so we get to I get to the park the next day and Terry Crowley who we call Crow is a twin hitting coach and he comes out to me he goes Corey just be a man like this is as soon as first thing I walk into the dugout I mean into the clubhouse Corey just be a man and I'm like what what, what are you talking about? I'm like, okay. He goes, keep it short. Take it like a man. But keep it short. Yes, no. I'm like, um, okay. Not sure what's going on here. but And so, um, so I'm like, okay, uh, whatever. But leading up to this, up to this moment, and um, n- know that... I used to get sick before the spring training games, or the spring tra- every spring training uh, day. Uh, I was in the can, like this, almost throwing up, dry heaving, and stuff like that. Because before every kind of um, uh, day, TK would have his meeting, and I would get called out for some uh, for something, either something stupid I did or something, and it was like. I remember I was at the urinal one time and uh, Scotty Stohovia came to me on one side and it's kind of a real awkward situation is when some dude comes up to you that you don't know and you're at a urinal, all the guys, you know what I'm talking about here. Guy comes up to you. Well, you may probably don't know what I'm talking about. You're in a urinal, you're going to the bathroom, guy next to you rolls up to you, he pulls up in the urinal and all of a sudden he's looking at you and you can feel him looking at him like, well, dude, what is this guy looking at? And he keeps looking, keeps looking, keeps looking and I'm like, okay, dude. So I kind of make eye contact back because there's, there's an unwritten rule. You don't make eye contact with another guy when you're going to the bathroom. And so Stowe, he keeps looking at me. And I'm like, dude, what? And uh, he didn't say anything. So now we're washing hands. And I'm like, okay, that was just awkward and weird. And all of a sudden, Stowe goes to me. He goes, dude, I don't know if TK loves you or hates you. But I am so happy you're here because now I'm not getting the brunt of this stuff. And so, uh, but yeah, he used to wear me out before every, uh, and I don't know if it's before everyone, but I felt like before everyone, because I knew before every practice, every uh, pre-training deal, because the the one thing TK did is, and this is the right way to do it, um, is that before, like we'd have a game that the day before, then we would have a little pre-game get together and TK would talk about everything that went at the game. And then he, you know, and sometimes he'd ask me questions. Well, what do you think about this? And no matter how I answered it, I was wrong. And so he would, you know, just kind of use me as an example. And so, so anyways, so I knew something was coming down because this is the first time a coach ever came up to me and said something to me. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is not good. So now I'm like this almost panicked. I didn't have anxiety, anxiety attacks back then, but I did get nervous, um, and uh, well, I didn't get nervous. I didn't get nervous till the spring training stuff. So this is when I first kind of started feeling nervous. And so, 
um, we go in there, and all of a sudden we go through a pregame meeting, and the, the thing is almost over, and TK starts walking out, and I'm like, okay, good, nothing's happening. And all of a sudden he stops, turns around, and looks. He goes, oh, hey, oh, yeah, I for, almost forgot. He goes, Corey, how did Canada do um, yesterday, last night? And I'm like, um, they lost. Uh, oh, so they lost. They lost the hockey game last night, so the Canadians are now out. And I said, well, so now I'm starting to think. I said, well, that's a kind of a longer answer so i and but crow told me to be yes no yes no and so i was like uh well no actually they and i kind of want to explain that they could go for a bronze medal or whatever they're going for and but i'm like no crow said yes no i'm like well yes they're out and he goes well what time was that game at i'm like um well this is not a yes no i'm like well it started at like three o'clock at the morning three o'clock in the morning he goes well what time was it over i'm like well and I, you know, now I'm like, well, I don't really know because I was sleeping. Um, I said, well, I think it was over around 5, 5.30. He goes, what do you mean you think it was over? I'm like, well, I think it was over at around that time. He goes, did you watch the game? And now where I'm like, oh, <laughs> I felt this one coming. And I'm like, well, I can't say no, but I can't, but because I did watch some of the game. And if I say yes, well, now I've I stayed up and watched the game at three o'clock in the morning when I have practice. I have to be at the park at seven o'clock, so I'm like, okay, what the hell? Because, but you know, and it's a longer answer. Well, I went to bed at at five o'clock to so I can sleep to watch this game, uh, and I couldn't even keep my eyes open for the game, so I kept on. I slept through it, <laughs> and so Radman, I can see Radman in the corner. Of my, he's like, oh, please don't let them come to me because Radman stayed up the whole thing. And I'm like, well, uh, no. And he's like, well, what are, you, what are you talking about? You didn't watch a game? And I'm like, well, yeah. He goes, well, what's the answer? Yes or no? Did you did you watch a game or didn't you watch a game? And now I'm like, this is a longer answer, but Crow told me it's to be yes or no, and I got to be short. And so I'm like, uh, yes, I watched the game. And then all of a sudden, TK went off. He got, like, fired up. And he started yelling at all the players. He yelled at all the coaches. Um, and for he goes, we got, you know what? I can't even stay up past 6 o'clock. And we got kids staying up till 5 o'clock in the morning in a big league camp to watch a hockey game. What are we doing as of this? And he, they started yelling at the coach, what are you guys doing? You guys can't, you know, are we not working these guys hard enough? How can this guy stay up? And he starts screaming, and I just want to crawl into my locker. And I felt like, and just grab my stuff and leave. And um, so, and I can just feel all the players glaring at at me and who knows if they were but this is what it felt like uh and tk walked and tk was hot he's like you know slammed his and tk doesn't get mad that much and uh, but this time he was mad and so as i was walking out and i'm like you know what i'm done i'm never playing in the big leagues i'm just i'm done and as i was walking out i overheard uh crow talking to the other coaches around the gum table because we have a table that was had gum, seeds, and all that stuff. He's telling all the coaches, you know, what the hell was that kid thinking? What kind of answers were those? That, what the hell is that kid thinking? What, you know, the kid's stupid. Like, what is he thinking? And I overheard this, and I'm like, dude, I did exactly what you told me to do. You guys were too busy protecting yourselves. And I'm like, you know what? All right. You know what? You guys aren't going to be the guys. 
that are going to get me to where I need to get to, I need to be the guy. So I'm going to do this on my own. And I went out there and I was hot. And I was like, you know what? Forget TK, forget the coaches, forget all these. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do my, do it, do, do this on my own. And I'm going to figure this stuff out. Um, and that was the turning point for my career after that. Um, and so TK, you know, TK was TK. And, and so, you know, so now we, we fast forward. Now I get into the big leagues. Um, and we get in that, that my, my, that first playoff situation. Well, there's times where that kind of came, that would come up, but the tools I learned there, you know, it became overwhelming. You know, I, I got to the first, my first two, three years at the big leagues and, you know, I hit 300 my first year in the big leagues. Yeah, I was the first rookie, I think since Ken Griff or since, uh, Ken Herbeck to hit 300. So I hit 310 my first year, hit 300 my second year. And TK was fine during the year. And the thing with it is, yeah, TK, you know, he had his moments. But once you got over that hurdle with TK, TK, there was no loyal, more loyal manager in the big leagues than Tom Kelly. But he pushed you, and he pushed me. And I don't have any ill will, Ill will towards uh, TK because he taught me, he forced me to be really uncomfortable. And he forced me to learn how to play in being uncomfortable and I once heard somebody t say something about TK's like okay why are you so hard on these young guys and TK uh said to this uh said to this guy so look he goes because I want to know in the bottom of the ninth inning uh in the world series in game seven uh when I throw the guys out there I have the right guys on the field because they're going to be scared they're going to be all this they got to be able to play through that stuff so let's fast forward now. So we go through all that stuff. I have two two great years. I have uh, a third great year um, with uh, with the Twins, and then we go into my fourth year with the Twins. And this is the first time we make we get to the playoffs. And then um, I didn't have the greatest year. Uh, that playoff year, I got hurt, and you know, Guardy was a new manager. And we talk, I talked about in one of my stories about uh, when pride hurts. So I'm kind of going over that. So it was almost point where I was at a point, point of weakness. And then we roll into the first playoffs. And I wasn't 100% confident with my ability. And that's when I went to Molly. I wrote that story too, the worst three innings of my career. So we're going to the playoffs. I'm not going to bore you what happens there. But you saw that how the tools I had uh, helped me kind of get through that. But yeah, because but here's the thing. Yeah, I made that mistake, that defensive uh, error. And when it was falling apart, but the next inning I came up and I hit it, hit that two run home run, you know, f four or five years ago before that, uh, you know, I would have been, they would have lost me for the game. So every time I had to learn these tools to, to battle fear and battle anxiety and battle self doubt and it helped me rebound a little bit quicker, a little bit quicker, a little bit quicker. All right, now let's move to the following year. We get into the, um, we get into the playoffs again, and now we play against the Yankees. And now we're playing in Yankee Stadium. And there's all this talk about the 10th man at Yankee Stadium, about what that's like. Uh, I did write a story about this, uh, the battle the battle in your mind, in which I'll re repost here in a, in a couple of weeks. Somewhat, sometime in, in January I'll repost that. But we get in Yankee Stadium, and I was like, you know what, it's not that bad. I don't know what everybody's talking about. It's not that bad. Then we get to the sixth, seventh, eighth inning, and now the Yankee Stadium is filled uh, because the first four innings, you know, people are still coming in because of, you know just where we're at in the Bronx. And we get to these last innings, and all of a sudden, you can start to feel the atmosphere start to shift a little bit in that stadium, and there's a lot more excitement. And all of a sudden, you're like, okay, 
I see what they're talking about by Yankee Stadium because these fans are in it. And especially if they can sniff a hit, they they start to get in it and it, it gives excitement. And the thing that sucks about this thing is that sometimes umpires can get caught up in this excitement. And if you get an umpire caught up in this excitement in the playoffs, it really sucks because the Yankees had a great pitching staff. During the year, it was unbelievable. You know, that's the 10th man is, it, is the, the fans would go crazy and all of a sudden the umpires would open up their zone a little bit because the fans are going so crazy. They didn't want to deal with the fans screaming. So, you know, we get into this, uh, we get into this uh, late in the game and all of a sudden we get in the bottom of ninth. I think we're up by two runs and, you know, like you can read the story, so I'm not going to try to tell it again. It's just basically, you know, I'm like, don't hit the ball to me. Because I don't want to be a guy to screw this sucker up because these guys are nuts. and uh, But I had to figure out a way to deal with that. And so I'm like, okay, ground ball right here, ground ball right here, ground ball right here. And at the end of the day, uh, they get I get a ground ball to me and I throw the, ball, throw the runner out at first base to end the game. Uh, but... You know, it's all the tools that I learned going through these points and the stuff that I had to learn. Um, I don't, I just hope I don't come across as, as, as negative for, for TK because, you know what, I don't know if the anxiety would have hit me at some point with the stress of playing at the big league baseball, playing, playing in Yankee Stadium, but dealing with what TK kind of did to me at a younger age. It forced me to be uncomfortable. It forced me to deal with some stuff. It forced me to learn how to battle through that stuff. You know, at some point, you know, there's, you know, I look at the, you know, I look at our current culture and I look at some of the kids and, you know, we're so afraid of forcing our kids to deal with some stuff because we're afraid we might break them. Uh, and, you know, some people are going to look at, uh, you know, listen to the story about me ta- talking about TK and they're going to be, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he did that. Oh, TK was such a bad manager. Uh-uh. <laughs> Tom Kelly won two World Series. Uh, there's not a better in-game manager than Tom Kelly. He was unbelievable. His knowledge of the game I would put up against anybody ever. And and once you broke through that and you became one of TK's guys, there wasn't a more loyal manager than Tom Kelly. And he knew how to push you, and he knew how to get that little bit extra out of you, uh, because you were always on. You were never on. He took he took a lot of very average players, and helped them be really good players. And you know, some guys are gonna talk about, well, what about David Ortiz? What about that? Well, obviously, you're gonna have you know, it's, everything's a bell curve. You're gonna have guys on the bottom, guys on the top. Uh, but I truly, I truly am thankful for the experiences kind of going through with TK because TK, you know, there's many times he would put his arm around my shoulder and says, you know what, you got this. You're too good of a hitter. You got this. I believe in you. And so, so you know what, there's just a lot of things that, uh, so I don't really, I don't want this podcast to come across as a negative uh, and anti-TK because I'm not an anti-TK guy. I'm a, I'm a fan of, of Tom Kelly because I learned so much about the game of baseball uh, through Tom Kelly and uh, you know my first year in the in the in the big leagues when I was wasn't playing I always sat with an earshot be, be uh, earsh, earshot of Tom Kelly and Dick Such because there was so much knowledge there and and yeah and so like so in closing on that part don't take 
what I, this story that I told you is a negative as a shot at TK because of not because it pushed me. It forced me to get outside my comfort zone. It, it's something where I wouldn't have went on my own, and it forced me how to deal with this stuff. And now I know I have the confidence to that I'm able gonna able to deal with it because life gets overwhelming at times. It gets overwhelmed for everybody, and in the overwhelming part of it, you are learning tools on how to deal with the next thing because life is hard. And here's at some point that we're gonna come, we're all gonna come with a crisis. It is what it is. And, you know, like my mom said, what doesn't kill you gets, makes you stronger. And so, you know, I look at all this and I tie this all to youth sports. I look at all, all the kids that I'm coaching now. And like I said, I've coached over 95 teams. I've coached over, you know, thousands of kids. And, you know, what I'm seeing with, with these kids and what I'm seeing, what, what we're doing from a societal standpoint and from a cultural standpoint is we're so afraid to have our kids' feelings hurt. We're so afraid. We're so afraid that we're going to be put in a situation that they're going to break. Um, and but you know, there's obviously there's, there's a lot of situations we don't want to put our children in, but we can't be so afraid to allow them to trust that they will be able to figure it out. You know, I had a I had a situation this um, uh, this these last tryouts for for my band. For for my uh, for my for one of my kids in hockey, and you know he was a you know borderline. He, you know he's a competitor. He wants to always play at the higher highest levels. And really, all my kids are competitors. And anytime they get cut, they get destroyed. And they're sad. They're upset. They're crying. Um, and I'm like, hey man, you know, you'll be all right. You'll be able to figure this out. I trust that you'll be able to figure this out and do something special with this. Um, and you know what? I don't mind when they get cut from these teams because I'd rather them go through this stuff under my roof than being 24, 25, 26 years old and all of a sudden dealing with the with dealing with that failure, dealing with a girlfriend breaking up with them, dealing with um, losing a job, de- deal- dealing with getting laid off, uh, dealing with the, str- the pressures of paying bills because that's life. Uh, and if they haven't dealt with anything at a young age with those stressors, Oh, gosh, it is really tough to learn that stuff at at, a, at an older age, and you know maybe this is one of the reasons we're seeing anxieties and depressions going through the roof, is our is our overprotectivism of our kids at 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 a young age. I don't know. I'm not I'm not a psychologist. I'm just I'm not a I'm not an academic. But what I'm seeing from the the coaching uh, standpoint, uh, what I'm seeing from a, from a, from a coaching standpoint, the kids that I'm dealing with now. Is their they have uh, their resilience and their ability to handle failure is not as as is not as strong uh, as as you know as my old as my oldest kids I started seeing them you know my oldest is eighteen and I see a difference between my eighteen year old and you know the the eight year old uh, kids uh, and that's only ten years. And so, but we can, we'll get better at it. Uh, I'm starting to see a, uh, a switch uh, in a lot of the discussions about allowing kids to fail, you know, focusing on the process instead of the product, focusing on how you, um, instead of focusing on the results, focusing on how you get the, re- how you get the results. So we're, so we're switching, we're moving to stuff that we can, uh, that the kids can control uh, instead of focusing on the stuff that they can't control, but so we'll we'll get there. We'll get there at some point. Um, so hopefully uh, this month, um, with the, with the podcast and the stuff that you guys have heard from the other athletes and other leaders around the Twin Cities here, 
that you'll find some tools and some stuff to help you go through your stuff. Because at some point, everybody's going to have to deal with fear. Somebody, Everybody's going to have to deal with self-doubt. Everybody's going to have to deal with uh, with that little, you know, what's that, the Flintstones for the for the older listeners, you know what I'm talking about, the Flintstones, you got that great gazoo or whatever, that, that little man's on Fred Flintstone's uh, shoulder was, you know, that would whisper those things in, in Fred's ear about how bad he was or whatever. We all have to deal with that. And so, you know, hopefully uh, through listening to the podcast this month, you'll be able to get a couple of tools to deal with you when the great gazoo, uh, the bad great gazoo comes calling in your and telling you all those negative stuff and then you, you, you get overwhelmed with, uh, with fear, anxiety, self-doubt and all that stuff. Hey, thanks for listening to the show today. If you like this show or any other of our shows, make sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you want to read stories written by our guests, you can do that on www.linkly.com. Don't forget to sign up for our weekly newsletter so you don't miss any of these stories. Make sure to check out our social pages. We have them all. Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. If you have any suggestions for our show, please write us on Facebook. I'm Corey Kosky, and you've been listening to How I Got Here from Linkly. Special thanks to Wade Beavers and our friends at the restaurant Agriculture.